Welcome to episode 25 of the Cowcast, Listener Q&A, part 2. Okay, we're back. I'm Eric. I am James. And today we are going to continue our listener Q&A answers. Uh, so we talked last time about events, how some events have been received in the store, some of the things that um, have worked well and haven't worked well for us anyways. Uh, the next question that we have is a little bit bigger one, so we're going to take this episode to kind of talk about it in a little more detail. And it comes from, uh, from our friend Sam, uh, FUD71 on uh the comic book page forums and on the Slack channel. And it really actually spins out of a discussion that he and I were having uh, a little bit about discount distributors versus regular distributors, what they bring to the uh, to the table as far as um, the retail landscape, maybe some detractors that they provide they have that show through with that or the risks that are associated with that. So um, it's really kind of an open-ended discussion around it. But James, what... I guess the the first thing is, what is your feeling about you know specifically online uh, retail discounters? So not Diamond, the actual distributor, but kind of the middle person, a version of us online, but only doing sales of new books. Well, um, it's kind of a multi-part question, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yep. Uh, but we'll start off with the the most obvious answer, which is uh, they have. Advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, the advantages are you get a uh, volume discount, mm-hmm. uh, or well, just a, a discount, not not necessarily a volume discount, but a discount. But I'm sure that there are. Having never used them, I don't know, but I'm sure that there are volume discounts too. The more that you buy, uh, for most of them, I would guess. The disadvantages are obviously you don't get to, to see the book, you don't get to pick it up. So there's that normal. Uh, order online versus brick and mortar uh, disadvantage of not seeing the product that you're you're picking up. Now, if you're buying something from Amazon, if you're just buying a book from Amazon or you're ordering a pair of socks or packing tape, who cares? But comics are a little bit of a different beast. They're, they are collectibles, especially if you're ordering variant covers, you're paying for, uh, you know, that Del Auto cover or something. You want to see the book. Uh, you want to hold it in your hands or at least see a picture of it. You don't really get that with most of the online distributors or actually any of them that I know of. Um, the other disadvantage is that you put your order in a, a couple months in advance and then I believe you all, with one in particular, you get it at the end of the month, right? It all ships in one box. I think it, it depends on which one you use and what service you use. You can, I know with some, they have the it's once a month shipping. Mm-hmm. Other ones, some of the bigger ones, um, have where you can pay an increased shipping fee and get them every other week or every week, but the shipping can add up if you're only getting a handful of books, so it's Mm -hmm. pretty cost prohibitive there. Um, So yeah, those are a couple of the the negatives. Any others that you can think of? Well, obviously there's there's paying for shipping, but um, this it's an argument that that goes back a lot further than just online comic distributors because I would assume that back in the early direct market days, competition for direct market would be, um, and, and not newsstands, but the, the 
analog to this would be subscriptions, right? right. And the mail subscriptions. Uh, I could, I could see that being sort of the same thing. Um, I know I had some DC and Marvel subscriptions when I was younger and they, the books always showed up in horrible shape. They were just polybagged and crammed in a, into your mailbox. So I learned at a very young age that if I wanted my books to arrive in good condition, that I didn't, I, I didn't, I couldn't get a subscription and I'd have to go to a comic shop. Not that that was a problem because I loved going to comic shops anyway, but the other, so you, okay, so you have subscriptions, your old Marvel DC subscriptions. Uh, then you had stuff like Mile High, which, uh, Mile High Entertainment Earth, um, a lot of those catalogs that were, you would get them in, they'd be in price guides, they'd be in the middle of comics. Um, they, they would offer subscription services too. Uh, so it was pretty much the same thing. It's just, it's a, it was a different method to, you know, you were filling out paper and sending it in with a check rather than using your credit card online. But the same theory, right? The basis of it hasn't really changed. So that, and they, they would offer volume discounts and they would offer introductory discounts on the first issue and things like that, or jump in on the 25th issue for half off or whatever. So I don't, I don't think that online distribution is going to necessarily impact comic book stores the way that some people like to argue that they will. I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I can't say I don't view them as competition because I do, but I don't, I don't view it as any more competition than I do, than I would bet direct market stores in the seventies and eighties viewed Marvel and DC subscriptions. Um, we, we have a lot of customers that, that do some online stuff and they're always coming in here and complaining about it. Now, one customer in particular switched over to when image started offering subscriptions, he switched over to walking dead and walking dead at some points has a shipping schedule that sometimes they'll ship a book within two weeks of each other. They'll ship an issue, uh, you know, twice a month. And we had uh, this guy who came in and he was really, really upset because his Walking Dead, he was two issues behind. And when he came in the store, we had the issue that well, he came in on a Wednesday, like he usually did. And um, we had the, the new issue of Walking Dead, which was two issues ahead of him. And he still hadn't gotten his subscription books or issues of Walking Dead. And he said that whenever they show up, they're, in, they're, they're not in good shape. They show up late. Uh, and he's always around people that love Walking Dead, so he's always getting it spoiled for him. He was so he was fed up with it, and he just switched back to getting it in the store. When he had he waited for his subscription to run out because he paid for it, but he switched back to uh, the in-store pickup of the book, and we were happy to welcome him back with open arms. But I haven't heard. I don't know. I I guess the other big part of it, of course, is the argument that you miss out on the comic book store experience by doing that. Yeah. You're not, there's a lot of titles that you're only going to grab because of an impulse uh, buy. If you come in and you see that a, a new book on the um, new this week shelf, it's a very different beast than seeing uh, a list of all the books releasing on a certain date on a website. You'll pick the book up, you'll page through it. Again, there are online discounts or online, uh, online uh, previews of books, but Seeing like you know a four-page 
preview on CBR is a different thing than picking a book up and paging through it in a comic book store when you can, if you think it looks interesting, you can walk it over to the counter and buy it. Right. Um, in addition to that, the, the comic experience is something that we've talked about a lot where you talk to other customers that are in here, you, you get to, you know, share enthusiasm for a book or a character or a movie that you like. And, or there's a, you know, we've had a lot of customers that have met up in the store just talking about something because they happen to be in on a Wednesday and are now friends. It's harder to get that online. I suppose you could make a friend on a message board. Yep. That works. It's been done, but it's, it's just not the same thing. I, I get if it's a utilitarian thing, if you don't have a comic or here's a caveat, if you have a bad comic book store, yeah, let's right. say that your only store within an hour is not very good. You don't like going in there. You don't like the people that run it. Then I can understand going to those um, online methods of distribution. Personally, though, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. You know, and, I, and that has nothing to do with having a store. It, it's just my personal preference. I want to go into a store and pick stuff up. But I'm also a collector too, so I want to see what else is around in the store. Um, but yeah. So I guess I did that answer your question. Yeah, and I think for for me the the answers are pretty similar. I think that the advantages that you would have with some of those online outlets are when you're getting, especially to, you know, like the one and two, one and one hundred, one and two fifty, you know, places like that that are already doing a higher volume may be able to get those in a little bit easier fashion than maybe your small local store. Well, they can get them, but that doesn't necessarily impact the price because that's just what I was going to oh, say. Go ahead. Yeah. Then, and that's where one of the negatives comes in is because they can seemingly get them easier because of their volume, they're still going to price them competitively to where they're getting the most back that they can. So while, yes, it can be advantageous, it can also be dis <clears throat> disadvantageous, anti-advantageous. Anyways, um, let's go with disadvantageous. Sure. <laughs> it, it, it would be, it could sometimes be more advantageous for you to actually go to your local shop uh, and based on what that level of incentive is, sometimes they can do it a little bit better or mm-hmm. the same. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of a, a Benefit and a detractant at the same time, depending on what that incentive is and what that variant is. You're also one, competing with more people online. So great case is when the uh, Spider-Woman number one Milo Manara cover came out. Uh, I think it was a limited cover, and the price on the book initially was between two and $300 when you would go to the online retailers to find it. What was the ratio on that book? I cannot recall off the top of my head, but I do very distinctly remember that that book sold out instantly on the online ones because they were capped on how many they were taking because they didn't want to get allocated, have too much money. They then have to give back to customers. Um, not saying that that's something that we could have done any better with, but uh, when you're talking... But don't they take their orders... Up, they take the money right away. But they, they take the money right away, but they take your orders up through the FOC date, right? So right. why would they not be able to offer as many as possible and then just up their orders? Uh, because if it's capped at a certain amount and allocated, I, I don't think they want to do it. Or the other thing, I, I think the Milo Manara one was tied to a set amount, like, I don't know if it was a 1500 or something like that. And I don't know. No, I really, don't think it was that high. But I don't know as if a lot of places wanted to get stuck with 1500 or 1000 Spider-Woman number ones. So well, I guess I... That's just an gotta, instance, though, where it got capped, and mm-hmm. the people that wanted it were upset because they couldn't get it. Had they sauntered into a local shop, they may have been able to actually pick it up for the same price or, you know, very close to. So it's one of those things where you can't... I think people get tunnel vision on it, 
and they forget that there's other other outlets. So that that's just me. Those are well, and then the, yeah, well, you have the kind of the same thing that we just encountered with a customer who put an order in for something online that looked like it was a, a decent, a very fair price. And because they had screwed up with the listing, they ended up canceling his order ahead of time. It's too late for us to go in and adjust our orders for the book. So he's just not going to be able to get that book now. Um, and if he would have talked to us about it, we would have been able to get the book for him. Um, a, a great example, too, of, of, like you said, they take your money up front. Um, and that's something that some comic book stores do for subscribers too, which is not a bad model. Right. Because it, it prevents you from getting hung with stuff. Some stores will take a customer's credit. You have to have a credit card to put in. And I'm sure that there are exceptions to the, you know, if, if there's, there's some regular or something or somebody who they've known for 10 years and he wants to start one, doesn't, I'm sure stores will play fast and loose with it, but most, most stores that have that, um, that model of subscriptions will f- keep your credit card stuff on file. And then when they place their initial orders is when they charge your card for those books. So you, right. you're buying them essentially a month and a half, two months in advance, but it's great for the store because they have a complete sell through. Yep. They're not going to get hung by a deadbeat who doesn't come in and pick their books up, which I, every single store has dealt with at one point or another, some more than others. Yep. Um, so if you, I don't, th- and I know that there are some people that don't like that, uh, but it is, uh, we don't do it. Maybe we should, but we don't. But I, I mean, we've talked about yeah what that would mean and looked at it by you know, mm-hmm. no stretch are we opposed to it, I think. But either way, online, when you're, when you're putting those orders in, you, you're always paying in advance. Right. And so right. there's that. And there's no shelf to go to. You can't just go to an online shelf on every Wednesday and look at what's new because online retailers, their sole purpose, their sole goal is to have 100% sell-through or as close to it as possible. They probably order a couple of extra in Mm -hmm. case there's damages, but they want that full sell-through. So they don't have a shelf they're putting books on for walking customers. You you don't really walk into a warehouse (laughs) right? (laughs) and shop usually. So so that kind of, I want to dovetail that into the next part of the discussion. And that is, um, you know, you'd said you don't really, you view them as competition, but similar to how back in the 70s, a subscription would have been viewed as competition. Taking that a bit further, do you feel like those online outlets devalue what the actual properties are that that we're selling? So case in point, a lot of the online retailers may start with a 30% off discount across the board on their books. Say you've got a customer that's shopping online or sees that, they're going to come into the store and, and have that expectation that everything's 30% off because that's what online is. Do you do you feel like that's a risk that is run where comics are no longer actually valued at two ninety nine? They're valued at you know no because um, because all these will sell produce much cheaper than Sendix will sell produce. Uh, Woodman's will sell produce much cheaper than I don't know. Pick and Save will sell produce. The difference is Aldi is making a smaller margin, but they're making it on volume. Woodman's is, is making it up on volume. Um, I, you know, Aldi's doesn't make people go in and complain about the prices at a at a Sendix or a Century or a whatever your no, but local. It, 
in Amazon puts well, puts mom and pop businesses out of business when you can go and get your it baseball does, but mitt for fourteen ninety nine. It's true, but you're but if you're offering so the difference is between us and the store that's selling baseball mitts is that you can you can order it. You're ordering a baseball mitt. You know what size you need to order. You go, you put it in, and they ship it to your house. You could make the same argument that if somebody's buying a baseball mitt, they're going to want to try it on first and see if it fits. Maybe. But for for us, we offer... See, we offer collectibles. More, more than anything else, we offer collectibles. And you could say everybody's going to be competition for everybody now. There's eBay. There is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you can order food off Amazon. I mean, I don't... Can you even? I don't know if you can order produce yet on Amazon. Peapod. But it's Peapod. There you go. There you go. Um, but I just I think that if you let yourself get to the point where Amazon can shut you down, then it's it's almost natural selection. I don't you know I don't necessarily see you have to differentiate yourself somehow from. From the typical model where the online stores are going to be able to put you out of business. So I'm going to push it a step further for you mm-hmm. now. So we've got these online outlets, shall we say, and <clears throat> they're selling at their discounted rate. And all of a sudden, Diamond decides they want to become a direct-to-consumer wholesaler as mm-hmm. well as two specialty shops. Now, let's just assume that Diamond wants to make as much profit as possible so they're gonna they're gonna offer the same amount of discount that these other online stores do. Does that then hurt the industry and devalue? Do people then shift from the LCS even harder and go straight to Diamond? No. Uh, and here's another. We I want to go back to the Walking Dead sure. subscription. So if Image Image sells Walking Dead direct to a customer through their subscription service and they sell it at a discount. If they end up selling it at what amounts to $2.50 an issue, that's what Image is selling it for, does, does that then mean that the manufacturer's suggested retail price is now two fifty, because that's what they're selling it for? It, I'm, I guess that's not what I'm saying. What I'm well, saying I know is, does, my, it, does the perception by the consumer base then become, I will only pay two fifty for well, this? Well, that's what I'm getting at, okay. is that if you, if the company that makes the publisher's Walking Dead literally sells Walking Dead for for $2.50, which is 50 cents cheaper than the cover price, but people will still come in here and pay $2.99 for it, then I don't think that they are going to devalue that. I think if the if a comic publisher selling their own book for cheaper than it costs someone to buy it in, in a store, and that, if, if they're doing that and that's not devaluing the book in the eyes of the consumer, then I don't think that that would devalue the book either. Is that a, but the question I guess is, is this a glacial trend over time? Now, granted, tomorrow people aren't going to come in and demand, which well, actually we have had people come in and demand that we adjust our prices, not necessarily on comics, but on other products that we have, like magic cards, where they will demand that we sell them a box at a price because they've seen that online. Do we get to yeah, that? Yeah, but okay. And, and I will admit, magic cards and, and comic books are two very different things, but. Um, do we get to that point? Do we run the risk of getting to that point where people will come in and they will pick up an omnibus that's $125 and look at it and say, I can get this for $69.99 on Amazon. You have to honor that price. Now, granted, we don't take kindly to that type of behavior. Yeah, um, somebody can tell us we have to do something. 
But do you run the risk that everybody or a large portion of people are going to start doing that, and then now the product has become devalued over time, over ten years? No, there you'll have you'll have lost sales. There's no doubt about it. We've had we have had customers who like we had a woman who came in and she was she asked if we would match the price on the Walking Dead compendium to Amazon. And I looked it up and it was $31. Well, we pay $30 for it. So no, I'm not going to, you know, once you factor in diamonds shipping costs, I'm not selling it at cost. And she's like, well, I, I, I really wanted to give my business to brick and mortar, but I, I, I guess I'm just going to buy it on Amazon. I said, all right, well, that's your prerogative. You know, do whatever you want to do. Um, I, I kind of think that the, the only way to really, when I get somebody like that and they say that they wanted to give brick and mortar a chance, all that meant was they didn't want to wait the two days that it was going to take Amazon to ship it to their door. And you're saying, you're asking if it's going to set a precedent or set expectations that this is the price that, that is online. I should be able to get it anywhere. It's on, it's on the brick and mortar store to be the, the front line to stopping that. And if you, and I know that this, this sounds kind of goofy, but if you keep, if stores give in, and I know I've seen it firsthand where stores give in and they price match Amazon. There's a, there's a difference between a lost sale and, and, and between projected lost revenue, you know, right. and, and over, over time. And if you, if you don't set, if you don't set the standard right away and tell somebody who wants you to sell a book at cost and not make any money on it, you're saying that you turned to, you might rationalize you turned a sale away, but you didn't make any money off of it. Right. And now you have to order, you have to order the same book again, pay to get it back in stock and put it on the shelf again. And if this person tells their friend that you price matched Amazon on it, then, then you're going to have more people coming in. Right. Exactly. So it's, it's on the retailer to be the front, the front line of, of preventing that and set the expectations that look, we're a brick and mortar store and we're not, we have different costs. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect our pricing because you can get it on Amazon for this price. We still pay a set price. Yep. Um, a lot of, one other thing I want to say is, uh, a lot of times on Amazon too, look who the, look who the seller is. It's, even if it's eligible for prime shipping, a lot of those things are distributed by a main distributor that's also the publisher. And I can tell you that there are a lot of game companies that are selling direct on Amazon for basically what we pay our distributors to get the games. So that's another example of publishers directly under undermining. It's not Amazon that's under undermining it. Right. They're, they're, they're the, they're the, the storefront. Basically. Correct. Correct. Uh, but again, if a penny saved is better, is always better than a penny earned. If, and turning down that, that sale, I just, I don't see any good coming out of trying to make a customer happy by price matching something where you're not making any money. There's, right. there's, it's extra effort. You have to order the product again. There's nothing good that really comes out of it. Uh, there's no, no goodwill that you're going to get long term from somebody who's expecting you to sell them products cheaper that, so you won't make money. Like that, that person's, they're not going to suddenly come back next week. And buy stuff at full price off the shelf. You know, now you've conditioned them to think that whenever they come in, they're going to get their product at 
whatever the whoever the cheap and if it's not Amazon, let's say that they a lot of people are, are really smart about this. And they're gonna check multiple websites. Mm-hmm. They'll check barnesandnoble.com. They'll check Best Buy, they'll check whatever it is, you know, whatever you're selling. Um and I, I have a friend who has a video game store, and people come in there's such a small, tiny margin on new games, so you get an Xbox One game. And he pays like forty some dollars to get like $47 to get a $60 game. And he gets people to come in all the time and they say, well, I could go to Best Buy or I could go to GameStop and get this for, you know, on launch day for $50. And he can't sell a game. He can't pay $47.82 for a game to make $2 and whatever cents on it. Um, so he has to turn that down. And he says that people compare, people bring, bring their smartphones in and they show them the price on GameStop, the price on... Best Buy, the price on Amazon, the price on whatever. You know, people will come up with whatever. What's, what is the cheapest at that point? Will you price match it? And maybe some people are well-intentioned and, and really do want to try to keep their money local and, and support a brick-and-mortar store. But I think the majority of people just sort of have that. The majority of people that do that, do that sort of have this expectation that you're going to be so thankful to them for uh taking the time to uh walk through walk through your door that you're just gonna sell stuff at a loss or at at cost and I think you have to more more retailers need to be adamant about not doing that yeah well and and uh before we get into the the next part that I want to take the discussion to you know, like you said, we sell more than just new comics, and that's really where the advantage is in, mm-hmm. in multiple areas. You know, we've talked on the on this podcast in the past about how back issues are one of the highest margin items you can get because of the way that they are, you know, purchased mm-hmm. and, and and brought into the to the business. So, yeah, but okay, and again, it's not just when I when I meant you you walk in the store and we have anything that we have in the store you could buy online. Sure, any any. Any item in here you could buy online, but at the same time, if you walk in here and you have, and I don't want to do the thing where we go around and say every item we have in the store, but something I'm staring at right now, we have a very large selection of both used and new original Ninja Turtle and Masters of the Universe figures. Um, all of the, all of the used ones, the loose ones are, they're bagged, they have the, you know, the character, the year on there, and a very, very competitive price. I would rather walk into a store and look at the condition of a 35-year-old toy and pick it up that way than trying to identify it online and are the uh, are the leg bands snapped? Um, is there paint coming off of the back? You know, little things like that. Those are the impulse buys that people come in you might be a collector and you might be looking to fill your holes and say, there's that Baxter Stockman that I've needed for 10 years. You might also just look at Baxter Stockman and say, I love the Turtles in Time game. I'm going to buy the Baxter Stockman figure for $8. Little things like that are those impulse items that kind of fill in the void, you know, for, for a lot of, for a lot of stores, especially for us. We have people that will come in and spend a thousand dollars on a back issue, but we also have a lot of people that come in and spend ten six, bucks, six yeah, bucks, ten dollars, yeah. six dollars. So we, you have to offer products like that that will set you apart, that will make you a destination. Because some people would, 
people that are I buy collectibles all the time and I don't like buying them online. I want to see it, I want to hold it in my hand. And if I think that's why the stores that have the most finicky business model right now are the ones that just sell new books and just sell trades because your and there are a lot of them out there. Your you have more to worry about from Amazon and from online distributors than anyone else. Yes. So there you go. Excellent. So taking off the hat of the brick and mortar retailer, let's put on the hat of the online uh, volume discount dealer. I don't wear hats. This is true. Well, anyways, um, take off your current Cowabunga shirt and put on the shirt of an online volume discount retailer. Okay. Okay, you wear shirts, thank God. Um, so now I do anyway. Is it a? Do you, in your opinion, do you feel like it is a <clears throat> risky business to get into for the the things that we've already talked about? So, image selling direct, um, the fact that Diamond could choose to go direct to consumer, or do we hearken back to the old days of instead of having the mail subscription, or maybe there's an online subscription through Marvel or or DC for physical book delivery. Maybe they put up physical locations in larger cities, things like that. Do you feel like being an online distributor presents a higher grade of risk as that type of business? Um, sort of, but I think you'd have to... A lot of these businesses would have to completely... They don't want to... Marvel and DC don't want to deal with... Most publishers don't want to deal with what Diamond deals with on a, on a daily basis. They don't want to have to deal with ship. You know, if you don't get your 300 copies of Secret Empire because Diamond sent them to the wrong store or shorted you on them. Diamond would never do that. Right. Or sent them damaged. Diamond would never do that either. That's It's a problem for Marvel because it's impacting the product that they put out. But it's more of an issue for Diamond because they're the ones that are going to have to they're going to have to remedy the problem. They're going to have to rectify it. Mar- the comic publishers, especially the bigger ones, don't. That's minutia. They don't want to have to deal with that stuff. Right. And they don't. And it's most companies. We are just at a trade show. Uh, it was on the gaming end of of the spectrum. Nothing to do with comics. And when we were we were at this trade show, we, were, we went to their warehouse. And we were talking to some of the people that work at this at this uh, distribution company, and that, this kind of subject came up a little bit where we were talking about because um, they uh, this is the third year that I've gone and their warehouse was the barest that I had ever seen it, and that was kind of what led to this conversation. But they said that there were a couple of products that the manufacturers have started selling themselves. Um, and I, well, I'll just say who it is. A Wizards of the Coast. They're selling the D and D books themselves, and they're selling them online, specifically through Amazon. But they're selling them. It it costs one dollar more to buy that book on Amazon than it costs us to get it from a distributor. So, the more steps that you have in the distribution chain, the more costs that are going to be involved with it, because you have if you're going right from the the, the publisher to the consumer. They might, it might cost them $6 to publish the book. And then if they sell it to you at, for $30, then they have certainly that there's going to be more overhead involved with direct distribution rather than going through a distributor. That's why everyone 
that goes through a distributor goes through a distributor. They don't have the infrastructure set up to self-distribute or they don't want to, you know, or it's, it's not worth the infrastructure cost to set up um, an entire distribution line when you could make a little bit more, but maybe the upfront infrastructure cost to set up to self-distribute is going to be $90 million, you know, and now it's like 30 years We'll, the, we'll make our money back. Well, this right. is just not worth doing. So then what about a diamond who already has a pick and pack well, service? But let me just finish up real quick. Okay. Um, so what they, what they said was they've, it's been a noticeable decline on their end of people ordering that. And this store is ordering that product. And it, it's kind of a top down effect because if less people are buying the D and D books in retail stores, Less retailers are then ordering those books from the distributors. As the, the distributors, of course, see their numbers declining on that, they will order less for the warehouse. What I wonder is, does you talked about devaluing things. Does Wizards of the Coast then... Um, I don't want to say that the, we sell more than enough copies of the... I don't think it's really impacted us, but we're not strictly a gaming store if we were strictly a gaming store i i would be upset um but i do wonder with something like that there's that's just one distributor there's a lot of gaming distributors across the country there's southern hobby and alliance and a lot of a lot of bigger distributors if that is across the board i mean then there's no way there's no reason it would just be that one distributor you know it's if if they're seeing that it's going to be reflected across all of them is the difference in is the decline in sales on the distributor side directly made up by the increase in sales from them selling direct? I would like to see the numbers on yeah. that. I would like to know if you know maybe long term there's less sales because if a store is going to stock less of the product, what? What degree of those sales were impulse buys? Because if somebody's going to Amazon directly to buy a product, they're seeking it out. They're not going to just happen upon that listing on Amazon. Yeah. Um, whereas in a store, if we carry a big line of D&D products and D&D books, you might have somebody who hadn't played D&D in 20 years. They came in, they see the product, now they're buying it. Less stores carrying the product leads to less sales overall. I mean, that's something that I that we talked about yeah. at length at their warehouse. And I think that that could, that type of, um, those consequences could easily go uh, across and transfer to something like comic sales. Well, and like you were saying too, so it may cost, let's just say that Wizards cost $6 to create the book, make the book, print mm-hmm. the book, whatever. Gets to the distributor and at that point, they're they're receiving. Let's say they're receiving, you know, thirty dollars from the distributor for it. They're not. They're they're getting less. But no, they're getting like fifteen for it. Right. So where is that point where now the added additional staff, the cost of shipping, packaging materials, all of those components come in, and are they are they actually making out farther ahead than what they think as other orders decline and other streams of revenue decline mm-hmm. and it's just them. So I think that that would be interesting in addition to just the total sales numbers. Where is yeah. that, that cost break even? And again, remember that the, the reason that you don't have more companies that just sell product direct is that you, if you're 
you're this gaming distributor, and I think this is the best example that we can use. You're distributing tens of thousands. You have ten, tens of thousands of SKUs that you carry. And Wizards of the Coast might account for, or at least the D&D books might account for 0.01% of those products that you are carrying and selling. So when you're, when you have a huge distribution network set up, as they do, your your costs are buoyed by the huge range of products that you're carrying. To set up distribution for just one one line of products is really really short sighted and not. I don't think it would be sustainable. Likewise with comic books, um, which is why you have some you know comic companies now don't even handle their own subscriptions anymore, or at least some of them do. Image does. But I don't think Marvel does their own, handles their own subscriptions, right? Didn't we figure that out? Right. Um, they go through somebody else. It's just not. It's not worth it for a lot of these companies. The return isn't there, uh, and that's why I don't. Now the the argument to that, the inevitable next evolution of this question is: What if Marvel or DC ran their own comic stores, right? Or DC stores or whatever? Well, DC had Warner Brothers stores. Marvel Back in the day, had, well, Disney. There were Disney stores. There were Disney stores. Still, maybe usually, one usually in malls. For one thing, yep. I don't think I ever saw a standalone uh, store that was even in a strip mall. They were all in malls. Right. Um, I can't vouch. You know, again, I, maybe there wasn't a. I could see there there being like a huge Disney store on the West Coast or something. Yeah, or like New York City, sure, that kind of thing. Sure, but when you're talking general, in the general sense, ninety eight right. percent of locations around the US are probably like you said tied to a mall a destination place yeah. that's the idea one of the well and one of the reasons too a lot of stores like that are in the malls is that it it's harder there is going to be less cost to, I mean I don't obviously malls are sort of an anachronism these days uh in most areas uh in, on a completely different note there's some really cool dead mall series on YouTube where people just explore dead malls. It's unbelievably fascinating. If anybody's got a little time to kill, check those out. Um, but the reason that the, I think that the, a lot of them set up in malls is because of the there was a lot less cost. And I think right. that it it shows that they didn't they don't want to have to put the resources into running a store that could exist on its own. It's just not worth doing for them. Again, if these these business these companies own gigantic billion dollar properties, you know, I don't think that they see an advantage in. I think if they told their shareholders that we want to do this and we're going to make an extra two hundred thousand dollars a year, even though our and our costs are going to be one hundred and ten thousand dollars, the shareholders are going to go, "Why aren't we doing something else with this money?" There's not. I, it just doesn't seem to be a good a good reason for these larger companies to open a store like that. So that's not really something that I ever see as being an issue again. Yeah, they've tried things like that and they've failed. The I guess the big takeaway from this conversation is the reason that the reason that companies that, that um, Universal doesn't sell DVDs direct to you at the Universal stores. It's not worth their time and money to set it up. The The distribution model that exists for comic books, for 
gaming supplies for whatever it is for movies that your video games that you're selling, it works. And every there's there are different links in the chain. And if you suddenly want to go from being one link to all the links, you might you might not work. It might not be you know, it might be a complete failure. Why rock the boat? I just don't see I don't see a um any reality where Diamond decides that they want to start selling to customers. At their extreme volume that they have, you know, the cost per touch is going to go up big time. If you're filling, if, mm-hmm. maybe you've got three books a week that you're getting and you're, you want them weekly. Oh, and let's, I want to, this is the other big thing. If you're Diamond, I would guarantee you that your biggest worry is as soon as you start offering do you remember when we talked about this before, the Archie Kickstarter, yep. where all of the stores that were not all stores, but a lot of stores got really, really pissed off that they were wanting to have a Kickstarter that was going to go around the distribution network and go straight to the customer. And Archie shut that down. Stores supported Archie, and then Archie kind of wasn't supporting stores for this Kickstarter. Well, I wonder if Diamond... Diamond sees that they're the only game in town. They've got 3,800 accounts, Diamond accounts. If they were to start offering, let's say, a, a, a portal direct to customer, is that going to be the galvanizing force behind enough stores being pissed off at Diamond that another distribution network could, you know, another distributor could sure. pop up again and say, we support. The, com- the direct market comic shop. We want that's who our customer is and who they will always be. And you have a bunch of people jump ship because they say Diamond betrayed us. Yeah. Or do you run the risk as well? A similar type of scenario, but then the risk becomes you're going direct to the customer. The store can no longer, especially the store that sells new books and new trades really predominantly as their only items, <clears throat> the store can no longer support itself. It closes. Well, we've talked in the past about a store closing is not necessarily an on-ramp for another store to get customers. Mm-hmm. It's more likely that that customer is either going to go online or just stop buying comics. Sure. And and that's another risk that you run is does that start well, it's, to it's eat like, away at your own industry. Right. It's like the, the D&D books that are suddenly being ordered less by the distributor um, or they're warehousing less product. If a thousand stores were, I mean, look what happened the, the last time a thousand stores closed. Yep. Um, it, it basically shut down all, all the distributors, you know, almost all the distributors. I, now there's one distributor. Could they take that kind of a financial loss? They're set up, their infrastructure, the way that they are set up as a distributor is based on, they have a certain, they know that they're going to have a certain amount of revenue and it's going to fluctuate. But if they lose a huge chunk of it, how does that impact? I wonder about that. Yep. How would that impact if a thousand stores closed tomorrow? Would Diamond be? Could they sustain what you know? They just expanded their Olive Branch warehouse, right? Yeah. Um, would they have the the revenue to continue operating the way that they're operating? Probably not. Um, so I don't. I just don't think that they would rock the boat. I think that they understand the position that they're in. So, uh, regarding all of that, I think that 
we've kind of hit the main points. We talked about different areas of the industry, mm-hmm. different positions from where you're standing, and a lot of it's speculative. It's all what ifs, but right, right. Let's go one nothing else, one more deeper. Sure. And I think we're pretty much aligned in this, but I'm going to pose you the question and let you answer. Uh, so, online retailer uh, for comic books says every every title, every publisher is thirty percent off. Why don't you do that in a store? Well, because we don't need to, for one thing. Also, there's the obvious, so you have the obvious brick and mortar answer that, that has existed since people started selling things in catalogs and, you know, why can't you compete with Sears in 1882? Well, we're a small, we're a small business. We have overhead, we have, we have to pay rent, we have to pay, utilities we have to pay uh we have to pay staff we have to keep the lights on um we have to shovel the sidewalks in the winter and you know i mean there's there's little things that yes a brick and mortar store has to do that not that not that warehouses don't have to pay to keep their lights on but it's a different it's a different rate so for those that are looking at opening a a retail place there's different types of space you can rent there's warehouse space versus actual store space there's office space and then there's different grades within that so there's a Mm -hmm. b c and based on what you're getting you're paying a different rate so what we may pay say three dollars a square foot a year which would be a nice bargain a warehouse may pay 50 cents per square foot per year but there's and there's productivity too yep how productive we we both are pretty productive when we're not. I'm, I'm a workaholic. We're we're productive when we're not. Uh, when there's nobody in the store, we're productive when there are people in the store. But how productive would we be if no one ever came in and all we were doing is picking stuff to ship out? Yeah, you know, we would. I mean, we would be flying. You yeah. know, so it, you have to pay. You have to staff more. You have to have more. Um, you have to have a different kind of staff than you do if you're just a warehouse worker. Mm-hmm. Um, not not that one is lesser or greater than the other, but it's just based on the work that needs to be done. Right. I mean, it's it's again, again it's productivity. You're going to get less done with the store open, meaning you have to either have more staff on or have staff work extra hours before you open or after you close. Um, especially if you have a busy day, there's amount of there's there's upkeep. You might have an hour a day of just upkeep to face the store to put misplaced product back to to restock your bins. Exactly, <laughs> little things like that, and uh, some oftentimes it's a lot more than that if it's a, a busy day. So, so it's it's a different it's a it's a different cost, but it's greater costs. So that's why we don't do it. Do you think that stores that do put a blanket percentage off of all their books, do you think it's wise? Well, for someone who was maybe listening, going, I don't, about but I don't know my own store. But I don't. Again, it comes down to not being able to see numbers. We can speculate on it, but I wonder if you could, if you could, if you know that you're stealing customers. So let's say that you offer that discount. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people around you jump ship from the online comic companies to buying books from you. And you offer 30% and you're probably making a little over 20% per book sold. That's you a decent amount of volume. Um, but 
is that re- I don't think it's realistic. I don't think that's going to happen. You could you could put print ads and TV ads and radio ads out that we offer this. I just don't think it's going to make much of a difference. Unless right. Right. unless you're in a very very specific area. You're in Manhattan, heavily populated area with a lot of comic book readers. I mean, what are we going to tar- are we going to target Delafield and tell them that we're, <laughs> you know, Watertown? It's just not it's not worth doing and if you already have enough established customers, you're you're stealing you're you're just taking money away from yourself. Right. Now, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is you don't want to yeah. you don't want to needlessly give money away. Now, there are sure. times though where we'll do like on free comic book day, 40% off on on select things. Buy one get one on select things. Mm-hmm. And we do that as an incentive two, maybe three times a year. Uh, for for different reasons and we can get into those on a different episode. Can I just talk about one more thing? You can. Okay. Uh what What's not a good thing to do? We saw a store, and I I sent Eric the uh, oh man this their sale advertisement. But Ugh. there's a store that had it was the it was weirdest it, thing. It was it was like it was an eight and a half sheet. It was forty fifty lines, yeah. and it and it was talked about their sale. All action figures that are carded and uh, diamond direct are eight percent off. All. Uh, Marvel trades ten percent off. All DC trades fifteen percent off. All bagged and boarded back issues fifteen percent off. All dollar books twenty percent off. Uh, all Hot Wheels cars five percent off. All and it just went on and on and but on. But then it got more and more obscure. It was yeah. wear a red hat, get an additional three percent off this item. Wear a blue scarf, get and it 2% was percent off. It was off. like it was yeah, like, it was weird targeted stuff. Like if you wore a red shirt, you got a discount on. Uh, you know, action figure or Funko Pop. Just the weirdest thing. It was the, and I, there's something funny to be said for a a store that it's a fun event. If you say wear a goofy hat and we'll give you 10% off tomorrow. But if you have something where it's like, you have to have a, a reference guide in order to even know what the hell's going on. You, and you got to figure that the guy at the register probably is, is looking at that for every single item that they're checking. It's confusing. It, it devalues your actual, when you have something, uh, sale like that it's just weird it it's may seem strange. funny and and you know the first two or three lines it is kind of funny but then you actually have to think as a consumer I, hell i'm not going in there because i i'm not even going to try and bother to calculate this i'll, I'll just go somewhere else or i won't go i mean it, it almost becomes overwhelming mm-hmm. for not only the staff but for the customer so yeah so we're to the wise <laughs> don't do that so well very good what do you think we covered it this is our earliest recording ever I think so. I had to get you up a little earlier today than normal. Vacations yeah. will do that. Well, there you go. So, uh, you know, thanks, Sam, for your questions. And if you've got follow-ups, you can always send them to us. Anyone else out there who has questions or thoughts, by all means, you can tweet them at us, add in Credit Cow. You can email us. All that stuff is in the uh, the little outgoing message we put. So uh, thank you for uh, for listening. and And forgive my grogginess. Yes. Well, you did pretty good. You you did real good. You had some caffeine. It helped. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So for James and myself, we will talk to you next time. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash Incredicow, on Twitter at Incredicow, or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. 
To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com, or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics, that's cowabunga with a K, dot com. Thank you.